WABC Radio is proud to celebrate 100 years. From October 1st, 1921, to music radio, to talk radio's crown jewel, worldwide and beyond. WABC. WLIRFM Hampton Bays. From around the world to around the block, this is a WABC 77 Second News Update. 48 degrees, raining at 5 o'clock, 77 WC Time Check, sponsored by Boulevard Watches. Good afternoon, I'm Bob Brown. The top five at five. An historic first, Katanji Brown Jackson confirmed to the Supreme Court. UN votes to remove Russia from the Human Rights Council. Jobless claims matter low of 166,000 and another sign of sizzling U.S. labor market. Legal experts call for President Biden to release corporate tax returns. Climber temporarily shutting down two lanes of traffic on the Brooklyn Bridge. Cats at Night up next on 77 WABC. The Mets opening tonight in Washington. Weather permitting, Yankees home opener against the Red Sox tomorrow, 1.05 p.m. Rangers host the Penguins. Devils host the Canadians. Forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center tonight. Cloudy periods of rain. Lows in the upper 40s. Friday, much better. Partly sunny. Highs in the low 60s. Right now, raining outside the Midtown Manhattan Studios. 77 WBC time check is 502, sponsored by Boulevard Watches. Discover finely crafted timepieces available at Macy's. I'm Bob Brown. Traffic and transit next. Remember, the news never stops at WABCRadio.com. Checking traffic right now. The GWB inbound upper okay. Lower doing fine. Outbound heavy delays. Lincoln inbound is okay. Outbound 15 to 20 minute delays. Holland inbound 5 to 10 from the turnpike. 10 to 15 from Route 1 and 9. Outbound 20 to 30 minute delays. Right now no major delays on the rails and in the subways. Lots of flooding out there so be careful. Alternate side parking rules in effect. I'm Bob Brown with your 77 WABC traffic and traffic. An update. A station built just for you. Entertaining talk, information, and he's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is, giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night. John Katsimatidis here. We're gonna, we have another great show for you today. It's a TriCast broadcast out of WABC. Radio is 770 on your dial and AM 970, The Answer, and WLIR. And we have three common sense people in, in the studio with us. We have one, only one common sense Democrat today, Judge Richard Weinberg, two common sense Republicans, Ed Cox. Uh, you bet. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, former Congressman Peter King. Thank you, guys. Great to be here. And my sidekick today, Lydia's away in, in the good old place of Florida. And we have uh, Rita Cosby, who's on Monday through Friday at, at between uh, 10 and 12. And she's got some great stories that she'll tell us about, too. And, uh, Rita, what do we have on today? Well, we've got a great show here on Cats at Night, everybody, and thrilled to be with all of you again. And, of course, with the great John Katz and Matides. We've got, by the way, Bill Bratton, who's going to be coming up in one second. We also have Mick Mulvaney who is going to be talking about the budget in Washington. We also have retired DEA special agent Derek Maltz coming up, Scott Pruitt, and we're, of course, going to be talking about Russia-Ukraine with Dan Henninger. And we have Frank Morano also from WABC. We have an action-packed show. And first, we have some breaking news right now. In fact, let's go. John just spoke with Bill Bratton. Let's take a listen on this big one. Of course, former NYPD commissioner. And here is John talking to Bill Bratton. With us today is uh, Commissioner Bill Bratton uh, to give us his thoughts of what he thinks is going up on in Albany and some of the things he has heard. Commissioner Bill Bratton, uh, what have you heard about uh, what's going on in Albany on the bail bond law, which we all want New York City to be safer? Well, once again, uh, uh, a legislative body uh, working behind closed doors uh, is trying to fix the mess they created back in 2019. But from what I'm hearing, uh, the reform of the bail reform is uh, not going to be significant enough uh, from my perspective. 
I understand they may be talking about uh, giving judges more discretion to hold people on bail for gun-related crime, reflective of the serious gun crime problem in New York City and New York State. But they may not be giving judges total discretion to take into account the potential dangerousness of a person appearing in front of them, something that every judge in the rest of the country is able to take into consideration. Is this person potentially dangerous if we let them out without bail? And uh, so the reform of the reform, from my perspective, if that's what's happening, and right now that's the the rumors, that uh, it doesn't go far enough. Uh, Once again, we're basically playing around the edges. So my prediction going forward, that reform is not going to be enough. We're heading into a very uh, tough spring and summer. Uh, The next thing to watch for, other than the state budget, is the city budget. And right now the NYPD is understaffed compared to the amount of crime growth we're seeing. And I'm also I'm understanding that that city budget may be underfunding the NYPD to take on all the challenges they're going to face this year, this summer. So we'll have to watch that budget very closely also as our friends at the city council continue to screw up the city. Well, I pray for our city. I pray, I pray uh, uh, that uh, we'll keep it safe. And Commissioner, all I can say is uh, November is going to be a big election time, and I and uh, I'm going to vote for whoever wants to keep the city uh, safe, and I think all the Yorkers should vote for whoever is going to keep the city safe, and enough is enough. What say you? Well, John, in the meantime, let's uh, uh, be thankful that we've got uh, Eric Adams in as mayor. He uh, progressive left on a lot of issues, but on this issue, crime, he understands the history. He was with me in the transit police back in 1990. He was with the NYPD in 94 when we turned the city around. He knows what it took to go after serious crime with precision, to go after those uh, thousands of criminals who we know are out there committing crime, but to also at the and go after quality of life crime, the things that people see every day that make them fearful, the fear evasion, the aggressive begging, the street prostitution, graffiti that is the city's a mess, the graffiti, as well as just the trash. It's, it's, it's the city city does not look good. And he's focused on that, but boy, he's got a lot of resistance against them. City council, legislature, district attorneys, and some of the criminal justice reform. So let's be thankful that we've got a mayor that at least understands what needs to be done, but trying to rally support from the rest of the uh, the system. Uh, so far, they've been missing in action. Well, Commissioner uh, Bill Bratton, I pray for New York. I, I too, support Eric Adams and uh, Mayor Adams trying to, to get these cities safer. And uh, uh, let's catch up in the next few days again. Thank you so much for everything we'll you've done for New York. Thank you. All that, the best. Uh, that was Bill Bratton, and uh, he wants to keep the city safe, and he thinks there is uh, something was done in Albany. We don't know exactly what yet. Governor Holcomb has said that there was something done in Albany, and I guess uh, as we go through the night, we might find more before the end of the uh, broadcast today. You know, it's interesting. We were just talking about the dangerous clause. It doesn't look like that is added that's, in because that's how you get these repeat offenders. That's, that's <laughs> the key thing. As long as you don't have that as a – Device for the judges to keep the city safe. We're in trouble. I understand we have now with us. Yep, we've got Mick Mulvaney, of course, the former chief of staff for President Donald Trump, also served as director of Office of Management and Budget. And Mick, he's the only know, guy that knows what the the numbers are. I know. And the budget. <laughs> he's the only one who could read 5, the whole 000, thing. <laughs> Five thousand pages of budget. Mick, you get the award for reading all five thousand pages. Great to have you here on Cats at Night. Yeah, I got news for you. I used to get paid to read all 5,000 pages. I don't anymore. So I've not read every single line like I did three and four years ago. Hey, Mick, this is Pete King. Did you really know what you were talking about? Because none of us did, and we always assumed you did. But I couldn't really yeah, tell I, the difference. Yeah, back in 17, 18, 19. Uh, uh, it, uh, by the way, it's great to hear your voice. Pete. Good talking uh, to you, Mick. Back Mike. in 17, 18, 19, I actually did. There's, you take about four weeks. Uh, at the Office of Management and Budget and pretty much plow through every single line in the budget. It's one of the most wow. eye-opening experiences uh, anybody can have. One of the things I, I tell all my friends on Capitol Hill, I think I've mentioned to you, this to you in the past, is we collectively as members of Congress really have no idea how the government functions. It's it's so complicated and so complex, you really have to take a crash course in it to understand it. It's just bizarre, just we, bizarre. 
Yeah, well, you did a great job, Mick, and everything you did. So thank you. And, you know, Mick, yeah, I want to ask you, what is in the budget? One of the things we were talking about, and we saw a lot this week, especially how heated it was, um, with Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, and it was Matt Gates, and it was over the military budget, how they're doing an increase, but it's really not in line with inflation. And a lot of people are worried at a time where we're talking about Russia, Ukraine. Uh, where are we at on that? Yeah, it's all over the map. Let, let's answer that question a couple different ways. Um, yeah, some things keep up with inflation, some things don't. Uh, but you have to remember that the top line numbers, even the numbers that come down a couple spaces from the top lines, aren't really where the money gets spent. You got to go down it, and Pete remembers this from his days on the Hill. You got to go down into those individual line items in the appropriations bills as to where the money's actually getting spent. So you say, I'm spending, you know, $800 billion on defense. But if $100 billion of it is on, you know, sexuality training, is that really defense? You don't really know where the money is going until you get into the appropriations bills. And that's what's so important to remember about a budget. A budget is not the same thing that you and I consider when we set a budget for our household or WABC as a business. A budget is a messaging document that doesn't really count in the greater scheme of things. It's those spending bills that Pete and I used to vote on that count because Congress spends the money in our system, not the president. So this is uh, Ed Cox, uh, Mick. Oh, w- what about the tax side of it, the pay for? Uh, it's an unusual kind of tax, may not be constitutional. Uh, what, if it's, what, what if it doesn't pass the Constitution? And that's why budgets really are important, because what's the message there? The message, regardless of what you think about the details, we could talk about that in a second, at least what details we know about it. The message is we want to tax the rich more, a lot more. And we aren't feeling like taxing their income is enough, so we want to tax their wealth. And that is a groundbreaking message. It's a groundbreaking change in this country, even to the Democrat Party. We don't tax wealth here. You do that at the local level on your property taxes and so forth, but the federal government has never taxed wealth. It's probably impossible to do, um, keeping in mind every single taxpayer would have to prove they're not wealthy enough to qualify, even though the Democrats say, you know, 0.10% of, of taxpayers, about 700 families would pay this. Every single taxpayer would have to prove that they're not in that top one one hundredth of a percent. So it's a tremendous burden on people. Then you look at the fact it's probably unconstitutional. Keep in mind, the original draft of the Constitution, or at least the Constitution as originally uh, uh, approved, did not allow an income tax. We had to amend the Constitution to do that. Um, it's probably likely that we'd have to do the same thing again in order to institute a wealth tax. And a wealth tax would be unconstitutional without amendment to the Constitution. And that you guys probably understand as well as I do what the likelihood of that is. That means zero, zero, zero. Um, Judge Weinberg? <laughs> I agree with Mr. Mulvaney. It is unconstitutional. No doubt it's unconstitutional because it's, it's only taxes on income are allowed, not on wealth. They have to amend the Constitution. That's number one. Number two, I agree with Mr. Mulvaney. It's absolutely impossible to administer this. It's too complicated. And number three, and Mr. Mulvaney understands this, in any country that's tried to have a wealth tax, they've always failed. Your comments, Mr. Mulvaney? That's a number four. Those are all right. Uh, and there's a number four, which okay. is it doesn't raise that much. It doesn't raise that much money. Uh, Most important at, of all. <laughs> yeah. If you if you look and, and that's that's the truth of the matter here is you, you could take all you could confiscate all of the wealth from the billionaires in this country, and it wouldn't come anywhere close to putting a dent in our national debt. There's just not enough rich people out there. It makes for a great political campaign, but it doesn't actually solve the problem. The number that I think the Biden administration put out was $360 billion mm-hmm. raised by the wealth tax. Keep in mind, every time you hear budget numbers, when, it, when, when, when we talk about a budget, those are always over the 10-year budget window. So they're multiplied by 10, which means on average, it raises about $36 billion. And actually, in year one, it probably raises $25 billion. And that, we, we spend that in about uh, two minutes? Or, yeah, uh, that, that's one. Put that in perspective. That's one twentieth of the defense budget. It's, it's nothing. It's nickels and dimes. It's the stuff you could find in your the equivalent of what the government would find in the cushions of its sofa. It's, it's not <laughs> enough. So where do you see but, this headed? Mick? Where's where your you, sofa? Where's the yo, We want to know where the sofa is. We want it. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they said, you know, it's a, it's a giant sofa. There's no. It's, it's a four trillion dollar sofa, right? That's what we take in every single year, about three point eight, something like that. Where is it headed? 
Uh, probably nowhere. Uh, the most you know, common phrase used whenever any president sends a budget to the Hill is that it's dead on arrival. Right. In fact, I'm, I'm putting my tongue firmly in my cheek when I say this. My guess is Pete probably said that about one, of, one or two of my budgets. That's because what, that's what every Congress you're right about says. That. Of, <laughs> that's right. That's right. It, it, it is what it is. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's not designed to be a spending document. It's designed to say, look, if I was king of the world, uh, this is what the world would look like. But I know that I'm not. So here, Congress, go and take some of the ideas that you like and ignore the ones that you don't. I do not remember. And Pete may remember because he's a lot older than I am. He was there a lot longer than I was. <laughs> he's I disputing that, the older part. My, but go ahead. <laughs> in my lifetime, I don't think a president's budget has ever passed into law. I don't think it has. I don't think anybody's ever adopted the president's budget. Oh, by the way, if it does get passed by the House and the Senate, it's still not a law. It's only a resolution. And it would have to be enacted in spending legislation or to become law. So it's never, ever going to happen. Um, but again, the value there is these are the priorities of this administration. This is what we think the world should look like. And we want to stick it to the rich people. Wow. I mean, can I ask you real quick, uh, Mick, just on a separate topic, because big news today about Katanji Brown Jackson, your reaction uh, that now she has been confirmed. And also the other big news on the border uh, with the Title 42. Just there's so many things happening. Yeah, I'll give you short answers to it. The 42 thing is a joke. Um, I, I thought the Biden administration was going to listen to the scientists and all that, and they were going to listen to Dr. Fauci. And I think it's clear now that that was all designed to just make Donald Trump look bad. They're going to do what they want to do politically. If that means getting rid of, 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 of Title 42 for, for COVID, that's fine. Um, but on Kataji Brown, um, uh, Jackson, I'm, I'm in the minority in Republicans. I still think um, that advised consent is there to make sure that you don't get people who are corrupt, people who are woefully misqual- underqualified. I wouldn't ever nominate this um, this uh, person to the uh, to the to the to the Supreme Court. Neither would would Pete. Neither would any Republican. But we lost an election, and the, the president should be entitled to nominate the the person or persons that he sees fit. If that person is qualified and not corrupt and not his brother-in-law and all those types of things. I think you're probably entitled to have the Supreme Court nominee that he likes. Um, I go back to the days that uh, Robert Bork um, was 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 his nomination was killed off by Democrats, supposedly because he was unqualified. The man was the leading voice in the American jurisprudence at the time. uh, And the fact that uh, the Senate killed him really ruined the process. And I was sort of hopeful we could get back on track. Actually, uh, Mick, Ed Cox, to take it way back, it was Hainsworth that was the first one way back when, if you will recall that. No, because I'm not that old. I was young then, but I recall it. It was it was Hainsworth followed by Carswell. Carswell, yeah, yeah, followed by Carswell. That was the that was the first time that uh, it was really uh, Hainsworth would have made a terrific uh, Supreme Court justice. But uh, I, I look at it. I look at it from my own perspective. I've been Senate confirmed, right? And I did through my budget hearings, and I knew more about the budget than everybody on the committee. And, in fact, members of the committee said that I knew more about that. I got 51 votes. Um, And I had had Democrats walk up to to me and say, look, you know, in any other environment, I would have voted for you. I probably would have got 85 or 90 votes. Um, that, that Washington is broken in many, many ways, and, and this confirmation process just sort of lays it bare for everybody to see. Hey, Mick, do you see any chance of changing that? You're right. It's, if you're a Republican in a Democratic Senate, they're going to every Democrat, almost every Democrat is going to vote against you. And speaking of that, do you think Joe Manchin be, can be counted on in the future? No, I, I'll take a second question first. Yeah. Joe is for Joe. I mean, that's fine. That's what senators are. I think Joe is Joe's not – if we're counting on him – uh, we shouldn't do that. He's not a Republican. Um, and, you know, you know, senators are, are a lot less party affiliated than House members. Every senator wakes up in the morning and sees a future president in the in the mirror. Right. Um, and so they're they're in it. There's a lot more self-interest than there is. It's a lot less of a team sport in the Senate than it is in the House. Can you count on him? I think you can count on him to do what he thinks is best for him and for West Virginia. And that's that's all I expect. That, that That's fair. I think. uh the thing I liked about Joe Manchin is if he told you one thing, he, he stuck by it. Um, you know, Pete, you and I fought all the time, but at least we didn't stab each other in the back. We Never. had you're right about that. Right. We came right face to face, and that's that's all you're looking for in that in that line of work. And I think uh, Joe can be relied on to to at least be honest. Well, Mick Mulvaney, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, God bless you, and uh, thank you for being honest with the American people. Hey, Mick, thank you, and thanks for your friendship. Thank you. Breaking news: WABC.
And right now here on Cats at Night, we have some breaking news with Ed Cox, who actually just left a big hearing not too long ago with some news on redistricting. On redistricting. You know, at the end of last week, the trial court gave us a terrific opinion that was said that throughout the legislature's partisan gerrymandered maps that was designed to keep them in power and super majorities of the legislature for the next uh, next uh, 10 years. And uh, now they're at the at the appellate division, fourth department, and the preliminary hearing. The good news is the clear indications are that this will be over at the highest court in the state, in the court of appeals, within three weeks by the end of April. And, but, but there's three Democrats, uh, uh, all appointed uh, uh, by Democrats, wasn't it? Yeah. On the court of appeals, oh, no, they were all appointed no, by all Cuomo. Seven, all, all seven, 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 all seven, seven appeals, all by seven. Governor Cuomo. I just, look, I just hope we get an honest count, and I'm sure they're honest people and. If there's an honest count, I think you win. They're doing what you, they How sh- do you put a congressional district in five different uh, uh, <laughs> when you're Only counties. when you're shameless. Yes. It only looks like a puzzle shameless. piece. It's like it, it's not uh, clear uh, lines. Look, it's like, there, how there do you are districts here that make Eldridge Gary also blush. Rep- yes. <laughs> they represent also Long Island Sound. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's right. Or Lake Ontario goes around. Well, they they Cop- like lakes. Fish has to be represented. They're a community of interest. That's what Ed Cox said. Only, the only community of interest here are the fishes. Exactly. So what does this mean time-wise? Give mean, us that's a sense the important yeah. thing. Time-wise, this is, this will be decided in time that the primary can be put off to August and we can have a, an elections, primary elections, and the general election on honest <clears throat> constitutional maps that are fair. And is that going to mean that all the petitions have to be redone and everything yeah, else? And they'll have to be redone for, for because the district certainly will be and new And they're going to push out, if, if it goes through that direction, they're going to push out the primary to August. That's right. Probably okay. as far as August 23rd. Yeah, that apply to all the elections. Let's say a person uh, uh, declined to run for the state senate because they want to run for Congress. They'll, now they it'll apply out. to them, but they'll all get pushed out from okay, uh, June 28th right. to, to August, probably thank, the 23rd. Thank you for the news, uh, Ed Cox. Uh, let's take a break. Are we ready for a break? And when we come back, we yeah. come back with? Yeah, we've got a retired DEA agent, Derek Maltz, by the way, who's going to be at the border. He's going to be talking to us from McAllen, Texas, and talking about fentanyl and what's happening with the border and sort of what we talked about with Mick Mulvaney about Title 42. Lots of huge news coming up on Cats at Night. Talk Radio 77. WABC. This is Cats at Night with John Katsimatidis. And you're a classic example of the people who built this country. On 77 WABC. And welcome back to Cats at Night. This is Rita Cosby joining John Katsimatidis for the great Cats at Night, which is TriCast, which we love on not just WABC, but WLIR and, of course, 970 AM and continuing with us in studio, we have Judge Richard Weinberg, also Ed Cox and former Congressman Peter King. And joining us all right now is the former DEA special agent in charge, Derek Maltz. And Derek, first of all, uh, thank you for joining us. I understand that you are in McAllen, Texas. I've been there. That's right at the border. Tell us, first of all, about the situation there. And boy, we have a lot of questions for you. Big news today about the border. Well, Rita, thank you for having me. First of all, I'm a native New Yorker, so anytime a New York radio station calls, I'm ready to go. I'm down here today joining the Texas Public Policy Foundation Border Coalition trip. We're starting tomorrow with with some really awesome American patriots to go down to the border, talk to the Border Patrol, talk to DPS, Texas Department of Public Safety, and see what's going on in anticipation of the Title 42 end. In, in May of, uh, of 22, total disaster. The country is really in for a rude awakening, but unfortunately not too many Americans are paying attention. You know, um, Derek, one of the things I saw, this is stunning. Today it came out that a number of border officials were estimating when Title 42 is lifted that we could see as many as 18,000 people crossing our border a day. Do you, right. Where do you square for, with for that? Rita. Rita, so first of all, like that's what that's the amount of people that are going to be apprehended by Border Patrol. But what about the 50,000, 60,000 a year that, you know, I'm sorry, a month, the gotaways that just run across the border? We have no idea who they are, where they came from, what they're doing here. We don't even know who sent them. And those are the ones that you have to be concerned about because they're paying the cartels big money to come across the border. They're from the Middle East. 
They're from China. They're from Russia. They're from Africa. And those are the people that American citizens need to be concerned about. All right. These these uh, these millions of people that are coming to the border. It's going to overload. It's a tidal wave for our Border Patrol. They can't even handle the volume now. They're not going to be able to handle 18,000. Right. So we have a very serious situation. But unfortunately, the current administration is out to lunch. They're not they're not really addressing it. And they're not telling the public what's going to happen. Look at the fentanyl stuff going on, Rita. Like, I follow this every day. I, I speak to the families every day. There's kids as young as 12 years old going on social media dying from the poisonous fentanyl. We have 289 a day dying. Every five minutes, a kid is dying in this country from poisonous, deadly drugs. Like I said last night on Fox News, right? Here's my point. Joe Biden is over there in Poland, and he's talking about potential ramifications of a chemical attack if, if the Russians did a chemical attack on the Ukrainians. And I feel horrible for the Ukrainians. But what about our kids? We're under a constant chemical attack every day of the week now, and kids are dying at record levels, and nobody's saying anything. Our border czar is missing in action. There's no conversation, and now they're going to open the border wide open. It's crazy. So, while uh, Ed Cox here, while the Border Patrol is dealing with this mass of immigrants coming across the border, uh, who's, who's looking for the fentanyl and these deadly drugs that are coming across the border? I mean, they're. Great, great question. Great question. So Border Patrol is becoming babysitting services, paperwork, pushes. They're doing bureaucratic nonsense to process these migrants from, by the way, not just from Central America, from 150 countries around the world. Wow. So what's happening is there's no border security. You're exactly right. And the, the explain to the, uh, the listeners, please, what the danger of fentanyl is if it's loose. I saw an article that said that... Uh, Millions of people could be killed by exposure to uh, fentanyl. How does that work? So real quickly, I will explain it in very simple terms. I'm a simple guy from New York. The DEA administrator <laughs> reported that they seized enough fentanyl last year in DEA alone to kill every American. They seized 20,400,000 pills, these fake pills. They're, they're labeled as Oxycontin or Percocet or Hydrocodone. And it's fentanyl from these dirty, disgusting labs in Mexico that are coming into our country. And the Chinese transnational criminals are providing all the chemicals to make this poisonous substance because they want to destabilize this country because we are a great adversary of China. But unfortunately, nobody's talking about it because everybody knows it's so political. Nobody wants to talk to the public about it. So, yeah, basically, just so you know, it's like 50 times more powerful than heroin. It only takes two milligrams to kill. So one kilogram of fentanyl can potentially kill 500,000 people. That's the reality. Wow. And I understand five uh, U.S. uh, senators from the Democratic Party uh, have said that they don't don't want this bill to go through. Uh, Do you know which senators? Yeah, so the, the Arizona senators, the two of them, Kelly and the, the, the female senator, I just I just lost name for a second. Cinema, cinema, yeah. So they were very. They sent a letter to President Biden and the White House talking about deep concerns to the Department of Homeland Security, to the Attorney General, because they have no plan. And if there is a plan, they're not explaining it to the American public. Right now, this is the last tool in the toolbox to keep these migrants out of our country. You know, like Tom Holman said the former ICE director. It's now legal to be illegally here in America. It's insanity. The rule of law is being destroyed, and this current administration has blood all over their hands. Well, thank you for everything you've done for our country and continue to do for our country. And I tell all our listeners, we may have a million listeners out there, and uh, call your uh, local congressman or call your senator or text them or do whatever uh, Peter, how do they, what's the best way to do it? And let them know that this is not acceptable. That, look, I believe in immigration. Immigration, yes. But unchecked immigration, this, this, we need some checks and balances. Who's coming and going? You have to have coordinated efforts going after these members of Congress who are doing this. Let them know that the, uh, you're going to do it before election. And let me also, as a New Yorker, thank the special agent for the great job that he's doing down there. We need more voices like yours speaking out. Thank you, Congressman. I follow you for many years. I appreciate your unbelievable support and contributions to public safety. Thank you. Thank you. Fantastic.
Derek, Derek Maltz, thank you so much for everything you've done and continue to speak out. And God bless you and God bless America. We need God's help. Absolutely, boy, with that mess at the border. By the way, the other thing, too, guys, is that Abbott, did you see this report that Governor yeah. Abbott and Governor DeSantis, Governor DeSantis says he's going to put busloads of the migrants that come into his state, send them to Delaware, to Joe Biden's Drop state. Drop them off at the White House. Yeah, and the others, and then the, and and, yeah, uh, Capitol Hill. Capitol Hill, too. It's in Washington. Yeah, isn't that it's, it's interesting? Everybody coming up, by the way, on Cats at Night here, Rita Cosby. Guest hosting with the great John Katzenmatidis and the team here. We have Daniel Henninger, who is the deputy editor of the Wall Street Journal editorial page. Another hot topic, of course, that we're covering here on Cats at Night. Uh, the war on Ukraine. And is Biden really trying to win or just is he afraid of Vladimir Putin? We're going to talk about that when well, we come back. That? Wagging the dog? Yeah, wag the dog big time. <laughs> that after the break, guys. He knows New York. He loves New York. He is New York. He's got plenty of ideas on how to bring change. He is John Katsimatidis and Cats at Night on 77 WABC. And welcome back to Cats at Night. This is Rita Cosby joining John Katsimatidis. And, of course, with us in studio is Judge Richard Weinberg, also Ed Cox, and also former Congressman Peter King. Um, one of the big news that came down just a little bit ago, the U.N. Assembly suspending Russia from the top human rights body. No surprise. They should have done that. It's unbelievable that they were even a part of it. Um, and joining us now to talk about all of this and big developments, and is Biden really in the fight to win in Ukraine, is Deputy Editor of the Wall Street Journal's editorial page, Daniel Henniger. Daniel, great to have you here on Cats at Night. How are you? Good to be with you. I'm fine. Yeah, what's your reaction, first off, to... You know, to the fact that they kicked them off the human rights uh, body, they're trying to also potentially get them out of the Security Council, which is such a joke that Russia's on that. Also, Iran, China. China. I mean, you can't make it up. It's like dictators row. Yeah. How bad does a country have to be to get kicked off the United Nations Human Rights Council? I mean, Venezuela, Cuba, Iran, Libya. Jeez. I mean, that's about as low as a country can fall, but uh, Russia has managed to do it. And um, they said there would be uh, repercussions for the people who voted for this, but uh, more than 90 countries voted to kick them off. Um, it's not a big deal, but it's progress. Uh, Mr. Hanniger, uh, Judge Richard Weinberg, I read your uh, article today in the Wall Street Journal. I thought it was a very telling arg- argument. The problem I saw is we have this moral posturing thing. We have the posturing. We say we're going to have war crimes. That's nice. But what are we really doing to stop Putin from winning this war and giving them the equipment and the facilities they need to stop this Russian aggression? Yeah, that's uh, my question, which I raised at the end. Uh, as awful as it is to, to say something like this, uh, we have these uh, what clearly appear to be uh, war crimes committed by the retreating Russian troops uh, in the suburbs of Kiev and uh, has preoccupied the media and uh, all of us. And I raised the question at the end of whether uh, in Washington and indeed Berlin and uh, Paris, which uh, also seem to be reluctant to just go the extra mile here, whether they didn't see this as a deflection, as a reason to stop talking uh, about the real uh, advanced military aid that Ukrainians need and to kick those hard decisions uh, into next week and into the future, as they have been doing. This is kind of the point, as they have been doing for the past several weeks. And your point point was that uh, in a war of attrition, Russia is going to win. Russia is going to win. If it turns into the frozen conflict that uh, the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Milley, suggested this year when he said this could go on for years, uh, a frozen conflict is something that Putin can win because uh, regardless of how poorly his army has been performing, he's got those mid- and long-range missiles that he can keep firing, which have destroyed Mariupol and Markievicz. Uh, to just wear down the uh, Ukrainian people. And as I put it, Vladimir Putin has Joseph Stalin's stomach for death. And I suspect over the long term, the rest of the world does not. 
And uh, if it just turns into gridlock, I think over time he wins. So, Dan Edcox here, we have to give the Ukrainians what they need to win. But would you include in that that they should be able to do hot pursuit of Russian supply lines on the other side of the border in Russia, things that they need to do in order to win? I don't think you can win if you just let them cross the border whenever they want uh, re, uh, with their uh, in a better shape than they were, repair back and forth. Don't we need to have a hot pursuit doctrine here? I think the Ukrainians are are willing to do that uh, for sure, if they if necessary, uh, because they are trying to. You know, we're, we're at a place where we didn't think we would be four weeks ago. We're at a spot where it seems possible, on the ground anyway, that the Ukrainian army incredibly can defeat the Russian army, and they seem on the brink of doing that. And I think. There are many military analysts who suggest the same thing. But there's an odd and indeed pervasive sense uh, that the United States and the President Biden isn't quite doing enough to tip the balance. And the question is, why not? Uh, They do need high altitude uh, anti-missile systems to shoot down those big long range missiles that Putin's firing from Russia and the Black Sea. They need anti-battery uh, radar, which is the anti-artillery radar that can identify. Where but but Russia, Russia is our Russia is our partner. They're negotiating with Iran for us. <laughs> yeah, I mean maybe you know what 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 we should have done. This is John Katzmanides. What we okay. should have done is loaded up Ukraine, not not wait till the last minute, and because nobody would have said anything before Putin would have attacked. If we loaded up Ukraine and then they had a shot for survival. Yeah, then it could have prevented everything, John. It could have prevented everything. We should have done that early on. And, you know, the argument has always been that if we did that, we would, uh, quote, unquote, provoke Putin. Really? He looks pretty provoked to me. Uh, The people in Mariupol would probably conclude he's pretty provoked. Yeah, it's Uh, amazing. And maybe they're winking at each other. You ever consider that? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, I, I, I just think it's like Afghanistan, John. Joe Biden, has he, has he ever fully committed himself to That was anything? a mess. That was a mess. That was that a disaster. Was a you, know, um, so was, you know, Dan, I interviewed Jack Keane, um, who we've all talked to here on the show, too, on, on Cats at Night. And one of the things he said was that he believes that Biden is less interested to support Ukraine than he is afraid of Putin losing that he's so scared of putin and that he thinks at the end of the day that biden's going to basically say okay putin's in the east um zelensky you accept this 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 partition basically of your country that he's going to force a deal that he's just so tepid and he's so scared of putin that he's not throwing it all in real quick dan well we're in trouble if that's true because vladimir putin's (laughs) long-term goal is to destabilize the west He's been doing that for years before he invaded Ukraine. And if we allow a frozen conflict, Rita, he's going to continue to try to destabilize uh, the United States and uh, Western Europe. Yeah, boy, is that scary. Dan Henninger, thank you so much with The Wall Street Journal. Really powerful stuff. And we'll see where this goes. Hopefully uh, it's good news for the Ukrainian people. When we come back, everybody here on Cats at Night, we're going to be talking to our WABC host, Frank Morano, who has some great stuff on tap. And also former EPA administrator Scott Pruitt is going to be joining everybody talking about oil prices, gas prices, and of course, the Democrats attacking oil executives this week. Boy, is Biden's policy. Boy, they're all out of whack. We're going to talk about all of that after the break. Keep listening for more entertaining and informative opinions from Judge Janine Pirro. Talk Radio 77 WABC. The headlines, the truth, the newsmakers. Katsimatidis rubs shoulders with some of the most powerful people in the world. John Katsimatidis and Cats at Night on 77 WABC. This is John Katsimatidis, Cats at Night, and now we have uh, with us... uh, former EPA uh, administrator, Scott Pruitt, and knows the energy business. And uh, so does Ed Cox. Ed, you were a member of uh, the board of directors at Noble Energy for like 30 years, weren't you? 
No, I, yeah, for 35 years. 35 I was on the board. <laughs> we were, we found all the gas off Israel. We developed in the yeah. Permian Basin. Absolutely. Right in the middle of it. Scott Pruitt, you, you, you uh, know the energy business rather well. If you were sitting, standing in the Oval mm. Office and to give uh, President Biden a, some advice, what would you tell him to bring down the cost of energy? Uh, energy infrastructure is key. I mean, when you look at uh, our, our domestic uh, situation, uh, production and access to natural gas uh, and oil is abundant. Uh, the problem is, is that our liquefaction capacity in this country is uh, uh, oversubscribed. You know, it, it takes many years to, uh, to obviously uh, go through the permitting process. The president could use his National Security Authority, uh, I think, to suspend permitting requirements uh, in, in due course and, and expedite uh, some of these projects that are key to liquefaction capacity in this country. I mean, to be able to export LNG, you've got to be able to take the natural gas. You've got to be able to convert it to, to liquefied state and transport it. And, and we have the capability of right doing now, it? Uh, oh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You look at projects in Texas and Louisiana right now, uh, John. Uh, those projects have been, um, Chenier Energy and others have been advancing those projects for a number of, of, of years, and we need to expedite those projects. Well, if Biden were at Cox here, uh, if, if Biden were to use a Defense Production Act, how quickly could a, a liquefaction plant be, be built? I mean, Ed, when, I mean, the, the, the status of these projects, um, they've been many years in development. I think that a, a few of them, I, we'd have to get information uh, more specifically, but I get the impression there's a, additional capacity that could be pursued very aggressively if the permitting and the authorizations could occur. Yeah, this administration is not going to do it. That's the problem. Yeah, no question. And um, yeah, administrator. I mean, the, you, 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 oh, go ahead, I'm please. Sorry. Go uh, ahead. Yep. You, you pair that. You pair that, Ed, with just the, you know, the, this, you know, the, the, the uh, what happened yesterday on the inquiries with the energy industry, and they wonder why, you know, that there's this feeling in America that they're anti-fossil fuel and anti-energy. You know, when, when the SEC just came out with the climate-related disclosures rule. Uh, you've got the EO order, the executive order from late January uh, with respect to these issues. I mean, this administration from day one has sent a very chilling message to capital markets, uh, to energy infrastructure. To development domestically, and and now what's happening? We're yielding. I mean, we're actually you know harvesting that this difficulty of being able to have access to energy in a timely fashion. Yeah, absolutely. And um, former EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt, this is Rita Cosby. I'm joining you here on Cats at Night. I was just hey, about to ask you. Hey, I was about to ask you um, this week. We saw these hearings in Congress, and I thought it was horrible. It was like the Democrats were trying to vilify all the oil executives. And they wouldn't even let them answer. Uh, what, what do you make of the sort of the theatrics, the politics of it that the Democrats are playing now? Well, having experienced a little bit of that <laughs> in my, my, my previous position, uh, you know, these, these hearings uh, oftentimes, unfortunately, are not about substance and answers and policy. They're more about theatrics and, and, and optics. And, um, you know, the, the American people presently, and, and rightfully so, is they look at Washington, D.C., you know, they don't deal with issues in a substantive and meaningful way. They, they, they engage in these theatrics and, and in these blame game uh, type of approaches that cause frustration. I mean, we really need to be doing something about these issues, you know, pipeline authorization, expediting permitting. Encouraging investment in energy infrastructure uh, and, and ensuring that we can, in fact, export here's the world. I've spent quite a bit of time the last two or three years uh, in, in Eastern Europe, specifically Sofia in Bulgaria and Romania. Those areas of the world that have been begging for American energy, LNG exports, and, and, and we could not compete favorably with prices. You mentioned, you know, Noble Energy, Ed, you know this, with, with, with the, the project they had uh, there in Israel. There was a liquefaction facility that was built, I think, in Egypt, if I'm not mistaken, um, that, that is very aggressive at trying to get LNG into that, to that part of Europe. And yep. they can, the, the costs were much lower at that time. You're absolutely right. There are two LNG plants that are now using that gas from Israel, and they're shipping uh, LNG to Europe, right? And it's pretty – it's close, right across the Mediterranean. And we could be doing the same thing in this country if we got serious about, you know, uh, expediting these liquefaction facilities. I mean, just three or four years ago, as I, as I was engaged in discussions, I think Chenier's capacity at that time was, subs- was subscribed 90-plus percent. They'd already they, for over 15 years, 
You know, so they had a very small margin of liquefaction capacity that they could actually provide to producers. In other words, you know, to to, to Scott. The bottom line is, yeah. before we have to take a break, the bottom line is the, the America it can, can solve the energy problems of Europe and the United States and North America. All we have to do is apply our own resources. Take the shackles off. That's it. That's yeah. it. Take the shackles Which off. this administration doesn't seem to want to do. And John, yes. And, and John, let me say this to you as well. I mean, the the the, the idea that if we do that, that, that somehow the environment is going to suffer. Let, let me tell you. I mean, we have the technology in this country now. Questionable scalability has always been a challenge, but carbon capture and sequestration is something that works. The scalability has been a problem, but with all the money that has been allocated to renewable energy, all the incentives, all the credits, all the you know subsidization that's occurred to move people to electric vehicles, how about taking just a portion of that, John, and de- dedicating it toward you know car- carbon capture and sequestration to allow us to take advantage of all our natural resources and to become much more independent? How about how about that, Congress, as opposed to all the theatrics that you engage in and trying to make sure that you embarrass CEOs that are trying to do the best they can to provide energy to this country and to the world. Scott Pruitt, thank you for every, everything you've done for our country. He's also the former attorney general of Oklahoma. Thank you, and uh, thank you for speaking out for our country and continue to speak out for our country. God bless you, and God bless America. Thank you. Blessings, John. Thanks. Thank you. Now we have uh, Frank, I understand Morano. Frank Morano, mm-hmm. one of our own. Trouble, and trouble. He's on the other side of midnight, Monday through Friday, and he's got some great stories. and And Frank Morano has sent you a warning, Rita. Uh oh! Don't stand too close to those UFOs because That's... four women were found to be pregnant oh, when no. they stood too close to those UFOs. Oh, Frank Morano, tell us all, uh, all the <laughs> stories you've had on on the other side of midnight between one o'clock in the morning and five in the morning. Well, quite a few on the on the extraterrestrial front or the UAP front, because we don't know for a fact that they are extraterrestrial, is the rather shocking news this week that the Pentagon has released all about 1,500 pages of documents as per a, uh, a FOIA request indicating that there were a number of injuries of people that stood too close to these to these uh, these entities, these UAPs, and one at least one woman, possibly as many as four, John, that might have gotten uh, impregnated by one of these uh, one of these UAPs. I know it sounds wait, wait, fantastic. Frank, were they good looking UAPs, or were they? <laughs> <laughs> Did they buy them dinner first? It's a good Flowers, question. Flowers, roses, you know. <laughs> it's a good question. No indication of that from the Pentagon, and they've redacted the name, so we can't reach out. To, uh, to the person that, uh, th- that was impregnated. But one story that I am really interested in tonight, a lot of you may remember this, the incident on the USS Nimitz back in 2004. This was on the front page of the New York Times in 2017, uh, and a number of other publications ran with it, 60 Minutes, the whole thing about it. These so-called tic-tac-looking objects that were spotted off the coast of the USS Nimitz. Well, I'm going to be joined tonight by the filmmaker who's made a documentary all about that USS Nimitz incident. And just this week, he has now released new um, new photographs of the USS Kearsarge just last year, a Navy warship, being chased by two balls of light. And initially, the people on the warship, the Kearsarge, thought this was some sort of uh, a test, some sort of a device. But they got the word from the Navy that, no, this was not one of theirs. Now, this obviously raises the question, if, if it wasn't, what is it? So we're going to get into that, um, and uh, also we're, we'll have the latest on and all the other news that you guys have been coming. Frank, I understand well. these. Uh, uh, well, UFOs have a different terminology. You call them U- right. U- UAPs. What UAPs. What is UAPs? Unidentified, unidentified aerial phenomenon. phenomenon. Instead of the word UFOs, and I understand they're coming from underneath the trenches. Uh, off the coast of the Pacific Ocean near Catalina and San Diego. Isn't that true? Well, we don't know where they're originating, but we have seen a lot of these sightings in that very area, and there have been instances of where it appeared that they either came out of the ocean or went into the ocean afterwards. So that's one of the questions that I'm going to ask David Beatty tonight is uh, what the patterns are with respect to the oceans and these uh, devices. 
And obviously you have the question of what are they? Some people believe they belong to a foreign government, although Luis Elizondo was on the Fox News channel yesterday. He used to be the head of what's called the ATIP program, basically what was, and they claimed was discontinued, the Pentagon's UAP watching program. He said there's no way a foreign government has this kind of technology. Some people believe it's our own government. Some people believe it's a high-end military contractor, or some people believe it's something otherworldly. Uh, so Frank, we're going to explore it. Frank, this is Pete King. Along those lines, if any of these aliens showed up in your neighborhood in Staten Island, make they sure fit right in if they did. But make no, sure so they're make sure they're wearing their mask. Yeah, and, <laughs> and something else if women are around. Okay. <laughs> now I'll tell you on one one form of intelligence I heard. I heard you know the Navy. Navy intelligence and the Navy runs these UFO programs, et cetera, et cetera. And, and it's been said that the Navy has their own uh, uh, space program. Is that right? Didn't I hear that, uh, Frank? Well, they actually, they just this year, uh, and this is a bipartisan piece of legislation sponsored by Senator Gillibrand and Senator Rubio, they just changed this year how UAP reporting is going to take place. There's this new separate entity, separate from uh, the Navy, that's now going to be tasked with handling these reports of UAPs just because, in part because of this Nimitz video, uh, it's become much more of a mainstream issue. It used to be considered sort of the stuff of Pulp Fiction novels. and I understand, Frank, and that'll be my last thing, and and we're going to sign off, uh, that... uh, the Navy, remember Sea the the, the uh, submarine, and sure, they had the absolutely. flying sub. I understand the Navy does have flying subs. Sea Hunt, Sea Hunt, it was. Yeah, sea, no, no, not right. Sea Hunt. Yeah. Sea View was something. Oh, Sea View, yeah. Sea View. I understand I the Navy does have flying subs, but I'm not allowed to say it on the audience in front of a million people. Yeah, not allowed to say it. But he didn't let the secret out at all. Frank Orlando, I'll be listening between 1 o'clock and 5 o'clock in the morning. Thank you. Wow, all. Frank. And uh, uh, the other side of midnight, Frank Morano. And tonight, the other, other side of midnight with Curtis Sliwa for Saturdays and Sundays. Thank you so much, Frank. And tonight, Rita Cosby, what are you going to talk right. about? Uh, Monday through Friday, Rita Cosby from... Uh, 10, o'clock 10 o'clock to 1 o'clock to, to, no, midnight, to midnight to midnight to midnight and, and what are you going to talk about well Rita? first I'm still trying to get over um, the impregnating don't go UFOs, too close to the UFOs. <laughs> I'm going to try to stay I away from that I'm, I'm going to try to stay away from that you guys um, but I'm now I'm curious I got to maybe talk to Frank more about this but I also have Montel Williams on tonight wow. who's going to be talking about some stuff neat stuff he's doing for veterans and a lot more on the border because as we know uh, the governor is shipping migrants Governor Abbott right to the steps of the White House in Capitol Hill, and that's a hot issue. Thank you, Rita Cosby. Thank you, Congressman. Thank you, John. uh, King. Thank you, Ed Cox. And thank you, Judge Weinberg. And this is John Katzmatidis. Make your last contributions the last day for uh, uh, for the uh, hungry in in Ukraine. Uh, WABCradio.com. Hit donations. God bless New York. God bless America. God bless. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.